Ronananian. Auto repair is a process. It's not something that's just automatic that you can just, it can't have a life of its own. The Car Doctor. About a week ago, I started her up. Engine light came on, it started uh, shaking a little bit. Not okay. bad, but a little bit. Idling kind of rough. This sounds, like the, so, this, this sounds like that scene from Airplane. She's starting to shake. Uh, <laughs> right, she, exactly. She's, she's starting to shimmy. Starting to shake. She's starting to shimmy. She's starting to shimmy. She's starting to shudder. She's starting to shudder. How bad is it, sir? It's not good, but at least she's not beginning to crack up. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Did you ever think that maybe you're buying used cars the wrong way? It's possible because maybe you're looking at it wrong. Running any in the car doctor, thanks for stopping by. I had a conversation with someone the other day in the shop, and I realized that, you know, part of the problem with cars is I don't think we know how to buy them. I, I think it becomes an emotional thing, and that's okay. You know what? There are certain moments in life where emotion are, are very important, Right. First date, first kiss, first wedding, um, you know, the whole, you know, uh, as my mechanic, Danny, he could tell you all kinds of stories. But, you know, there's those first moments of buying a car where you've got to take emotion out of it and it has to be put over on the side. And, and when I was talking to this person this week and she was a young driver, new driver, she needed a car, her car was falling apart. She said, you know, I, I just I don't know how to go out and, and, and buy a car. She says, I've never had to do this. My dad used to help me do this, and he passed, and now I have nobody. To, you know, she, how do I do this? And I said, you've got to identify this, I think, on, a, on, on four points. I think need in terms of what do you need? How much car do you need? And I guess this applies to new cars, too, but it was a used car that we were talking about. You know, what specifically are you looking for that used car to do? Are you looking for an SUV? Are you looking for a sedan? Are you looking for a pickup truck? What exactly do you want? Because then once you decide, hey, I need this, all right, then we can talk about price. How much money do you have to get that need? And then we then we can talk about, okay, in the $10,000 range in a Subaru family of vehicle, you know, here's what we can get in this condition, that condition, and then we can look at warranty and the features and does it have heated cup holders and air-conditioned seats and whatever other trivial nonsense that you need beyond an engine and four wheels and a tire? Right? You know, that, that's the emotional stuff, right? That's where it's emotion. You know, you want the red one. You want heated seats. Uh, you, you know, you need a rear-view camera. But I think we have to decide. I think it's need. I think need is really where you've got to begin the process of car selection. What do you need? Now, if you're going to have more than one car, then it's... That's a, that, that is another story unto itself, too. Um, but you've always got to go by need. I, um, and that's where emotion comes in, you know? I need a 55 Chevy, black, big tires, makes a lot of noise. That's sort of a balance, you know? That's a... <laughs> That, that fills a lot of other gaps. So um, this is The Car Doctor. I am Ron Ananian. We are here to take your questions and uh, calls at 855-560-9900. This hour, 
this hour, because Tom forgot to last hour, it's Tom's fault, we're going to be giving away two copies of Steve Cook's book, Steve Cook, OBD2 Diagnostics Made Easy. So you've got, you've got a two for chance, all right? You've got to be nice to Tom when you call. You've got to say something nice about him, which is hard. And, um, you know, if it was up to Mikey, Mikey would give a book out to everybody. But uh, we've got two, two this hour, just in time for the holidays. So give us a shout, and uh, let's see what we get. Let's go over and talk to Brad in Pennsylvania, 2018 Ram. Brad, what is it you want to do to this pick up truck? Hey, Ron, how are you? Good, sir. What's going on? I have a question. Uh, 2018 Ram with a 5.7, uh, the merits of running uh, pure gasoline versus running E10, if it's worth uh, the extra cost, in your opinion. Probably not. First of all, where would you? Do you have access to pure gas? No, no ethanol in it. I actually, do. There's a uh, several of the Wawa stations up here. I uh, actually sell ethanol-free 89 octane. Okay. Um, you know what's the truck tuned for? If you look, if you open the gas door where you put the gas in, is there? Because some of them will say they'll have like the E10 symbol with. Um, uh, you know, maybe the, the international no sign, or they'll say only, or something like that. They have limitations because some of this comes back to what's the vehicle tuned for. All right, if the vehicle well, it says it, uh, it says in the owner's manual no more than ten percent ethanol. Okay, eighty nine octane recommended, eighty seven is acceptable. All right, but so there, it sounds like they're saying you know it's got to be this octane, but it can be pure. Pure gasoline, then yeah, put pure gasoline in it. I think you'll find that fuel system components will have a longer life. I can't give you that as an absolution. I don't think anybody's ever done it on a pure basis. Sure. Uh, from a, I'll tell you this, sure. and this is you know maybe this is sort of along those lines. So my little snowblower, um, things don't wear out in my house. You know, I just I tend to keep things forever because. That's what you're supposed to do. You just go buy a new car. You don't get rid of the old one. Well, it sort of works right. that way with snowblowers, right? So my, my little two-cycle Toro snowthrower, snowblower, whatever it is, um, finally needs a carburetor. So I took the old one apart. It's, it's kind of a molten mess. It's, it lasted me. Let's see, I bought it in 2003, so do the math. Where are we, 16, 17 years old? So I figured I got my life out of it. I went and got another. I got, ordered a carburetor. Naturally, the carburetor comes. You can't buy one from Toro anymore. They don't make it because it's too old. Throw it away, buy a new snowblower, mm -hmm. which I don't want to do because this one I can lift in and out of the truck. And I bought one online from a company I've been dealing with for a long time, good company, so hairs out in Ohio. Uh, Sten, S-T-E-N, I think, is the, is the name of the carburetor company. Yes, they make a lot of aftermarket yeah. small engine parts. Uh, um, made in China. But you take it out, and it says not good for more than 10% ethanol. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, but everything around here, everything around here is E85, which is 15% ethanol. So that means I can't run pump gas on my snowblower. Yeah, I have the same snowblower that was bought in 1987, runs like a top, especially yep. on the pure gasoline. Yeah, um, and that's one of the reasons... Why I've been using, I've been using, and snowblowers are a little easier. Obviously, you buy the expensive can of pure uh, pure gasoline from the from the small parts house or the hardware store, and it works. But I guess even carburetors do wear out over time. But I I think ethanol. I'm not a fan of it. I think it's just a, a necessary evil. It's going to be here no matter what we try and say or do. So if you can do it and you can afford it, yeah. Um, uh, or at least maybe every third or fourth tank full or as often as you can get to those pumps because then the problem becomes if you travel with the truck, 
then what happens? Yeah, true. You know, so it's 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 kind of like going to church, brother. We all start out with the best of intentions, and, and sooner or later we have that come to Jesus moment where, well, I'll talk to God while I'm driving. I'm sure He'll get the message. So, same idea. Yeah. So, second question. One, one more question. Yeah. Uh, the only thing I do not like about this truck is changing the oil filter. It is an absolute nightmare. You get an oil bath. What would your thought be? Uh, I run a Wix XP of changing the oil, let's say, every 3,000, but only changing the filter every other time, every 6,000. And I'm I, running Pennzoil Ultra Platinum Synthetic. Um, I think we're self-defeating. I don't know that... You know, I've got no scientific data to, to, to back it up either way, Brad. And and I understand what you're trying to do. You're using a good oil. You're, you are diluting down... Um, you know, the oil, obviously, with that quart of dirty after 3,000 miles. I would probably, you know, sneak my oil change interval out to the 5,000-mile mark, all right, and still use the Wix XP filter and just change it every 5,000 miles. And this way you'll, you only go through the paint. I'd rather see the oil stay in there. I do, in all okay. honesty, run my synthetic to 5,000 you know, if um, if um, if the vehicle's up in the air and I'm doing something else and it's got 3,800 miles on it, yeah, I'm probably going to drop the oil just because I can if it's been four or five months. But, you know, the oils have gotten so much better over time. Uh, the oil companies are really taking a hard look at this, and they've come up with some really creative additive packages. Um, Kendall. As a matter of fact, I was reading an article, Kendall Motor Oil, and there's a name that's been around forever, right? They've actually come out with an yep. additive package. I believe they call it liquid titanium, um, mm -hmm. uh, something along those lines. You can read more about it at KendallMotorOil.com, I believe is the website. But, you know, they've, they're doing some interesting things with oil now, too. But the point is... You know, a lot of them, and oil's only as good as the company behind it and the engineering, right? And a lot of them are, you know, getting really creative about extending the life of, uh, of oil. And I think you can go to the 5,000-mile mark and not have to do it, you know, every three. I think that's a little bit of overkill, plus you'll wear out the drain pan threads on the oil pan. Um, you know, that'll be the, <laughs> that sounds like a plan. I'll probably stick thing. with pen's oil, been using uh, it forever. Yeah, so, but... Um, just, just, just things to think about. But I like, I like the way you're thinking. I like the way you're thinking. So, um, hey, Brad, stay on the line. Hang on, stay tight. Tom's going to get your information. Sure. We're gonna, we're gonna be sending you out a copy of Steve Cook's book, OBD2 Diagnostics Made Easy. Stay on the line. It's great reading. We'll send you out the uh, book, and then we'll call you up in three months. There'll be a test on chapter two. Um, uh, make sure, make sure you're reading it. So, but uh, some good winter reading material. Stay on the line. Tom will be right with you. I'm Ron Annie of the Car Doctor. 855-560-9900. We're back right after this. It on the wall so you don't forget to call for car advice done right. 855-560-9900. Now, back to Ron. Let's get over to Dave in Maryland, 85 El Camino and an overheating problem. Dave, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Hi, how are you doing today? Good, sir. What's going on? Well, there's some questions. I may, please. Sure. I had a 85 Chevy El Camino 305 V8 uh, absolutely pristine condition. Gotcha. It would overheat 
if I would start the car in the morning and let it run, the temperature gauge would go to the extreme. It would peg if, if I would allow it to do that. If I turned the heater on, the gauge would go back to normal. I could drive the car the rest of the day with no problem. So here's what I did. I flushed the system. I put in three new thermostats, took it to a radiator shop. He said I needed a radiator, put a radiator and a cap on it, new hoses. I replaced the thermostatic fan, and I finally wound up removing the cylinder heads to take them to a machine shop to have a Magnaflux to check for cracks in the heads or bad gaskets and it had neither of those problems. None of those things corrected it. The very last thing that I did was replace the water pump, and that corrected it. But the water pump did not leak. It did not have a bearing noise. And when I took the old pump apart, the impeller seemed fine, and it turned fine as it should. No signs of cavitation? Nothing that I could see, but I say the water pump finally solved the problem after all that work and all that expense. And if you've ever worked on that air of a 305 V8, they are not the easiest thing to work no, on. No, not at all. But, uh, it, it, but I'm just amazed by that. I thought if a water pump was bad, you either had bearing noise or you had leakage. No. And I didn't have any of that. No, you can also Very have it. You can have an impeller slipping. You can have a pump causing cavitation. I've seen in some extreme cases the way the castings were formed, it creates turbulence and it will affect water flow through the engine. I can't say that I've seen it through that extreme, but, you know, listen, you're living proof of it. I think what I would have been curious to try, not to second guess this, was the, the temp sender is, was the temp sender on the cylinder head between one and three or was it up on the intake manifold? I believe it was between the cylinders, one and three. Right. I'd be, cu I'd be curious to see what, you know, and uh, did you do this recently, Dave, or was this a while ago and this question has been bothering you for a couple of years? Correct. I did it a while ago. Yeah. It just drove me crazy yeah. well, after all that work. Uh, so I, would, I just thought. I, I would want to see, I'd be curious to see if, you know, using a thermal gun, was that side of the block hotter than the other? Was there an I issue? In the, was there an issue in the way the water was exiting, or you know, being pulled through the being pulled through the block or pushed through the pump? You know, where was the hot spot? And then maybe when I took it apart, could I have could I have actually seen the problem, knowing where to look? And sometimes it's real subtle, real subtle differences. Um, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you the story this way. Maybe this will maybe this will uh, alleviate your pain, brother. So we had, an, we had an overheating, not an overheating, we had a heat problem in the shop recently. The heat wasn't working well. It worked okay. And, you know, our heating guy is excellent. He's a rocket scientist in his own right. And there's something in the heating world, you know, rate to rise, how fast it will build heat and how quick it builds to the extreme. But we were having an airflow. We were having a distribution problem. 
And what we had found was what we ended up doing to solve it, when they designed the heating system, they didn't put a filter on the return side before the, uh, how can I explain it, the furnace or the manifold assembly. So it was building up all this soot and and particulate, and it was affecting airflow as it came up through the diverter manifold as it approached the blower motor before it was sent back out on the leg to heat the shop. Do you know that little bit of, it was probably you know, just a half inch of caked up crud. We cleaned that, and it increased airflow across the blower, across the manifold, out the leg, down the trunk that feeds the shop. The shop heats up better now, and it's all fixed. Okay. So, you know, sometimes it's that little thing that you don't see or you just take for granted. And we found it by using a thermal gun. We we sat there because, you know, naturally I got to help my, my I get involved with my heat guy. We're, we're we're buddies and, you know, we're up on the roof and we're you know looking at this and looking at that. And all of a sudden we realized, why is it a different temp here than it is here? Like this should be the same thing. There's nothing there. And then we realized it was after after the manifold, the way it was split, and it wasn't dispersing the air properly, and we went in, cleaned it up, and it's all fixed. So, you know, sometimes sometimes that's just the way it is. And, you know, it's 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 a lousy answer, but it's the truth. You, you, you case where... Um, you know, look look at look at how it's flowing with a thermal gun. Maybe would have, and maybe I you know. I listen. I admire you. You know, to take off the heads and go through all that. I, I probably would have pulled the pump as maybe my second or third. But you know what? Trial and error. And I give you credit. You 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 actually went through and did your due diligence. And you know, you're you're to be to, you're to be commended for that. All right. Um, well, you know, okay. You had the patience okay. for it. Thank you. So you're very welcome. Thank you. You're right. You're right. I should have gone to the water pump probably the first or second item. But since I didn't hear noise and I didn't see leakage, I figured I was good to go. Yeah, no, you always got it. You know, it's it's what's that rate to rise, right? What's the rate to rise of the coolant? What was the rate to rise of the heat in the shop? You always think about how it's going to get there and how long it takes and what affects it. And that's part of it. So listen, thank you for the call, Dave. I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, nice car, by the way. I like the El Caminos. Still do. 855-560-9900. The car doctor's coming back right after this. Of course, ride my Chevrolet. I'm the car doctor, Ron Ananian. Let's get on over and talk to Phil in Vermont with his Chevy Malibu. Phil, how can I help, sir? Let's see what we can do to get this car back on the road. Hi, Ron. Thanks for taking my call. You're very welcome. Um, well, what I was wondering is, it's, I got a little scanner scanner tool, and it says it's the um, camshaft position actuator solenoid valve. Okay. And I was wondering if um, it would be worth taking, because I saw on YouTube that you can clean them. And the other question is, well, I got it apart, if I should change the intake, which is the one I got to change, but should I change the um, exhaust one also? Uh, we t- we tend to do them in pairs, Phil. We've seen we've seen more than a few of them fail 
as you know, first one than the other. I mean, they're not the hardest thing in the world to change. It's it's really a question of what's in the budget. Can you afford to do both? I will I will caution you and just say that make sure you're using a good quality part. Uh, I would I prefer and I try to get GMOE parts in this application simply because they work the best. I've had the least amount of problems. I mean, General Motors had their issues with these. And truth is, I think I think many of the aftermarket pieces, many of these actuators in the aftermarket are simply reboxed GM parts because GM went through a retooling and you know, basically did a whole other design and created a better component for the mistake, for the folly that they made. Uh, I can tell you electrically that you're going to look at resistance across that actuator, and you typically see 5 to 10 ohms of resistance at room temperature, um, uh, you know, in the exhaust so the exhaust actuator should be the same, even though they are different. You can't physically swap them. Um, as far as cleaning, my experience has been that this is not a this is not a, um, a, a a performance issue. You know, meaning that the internal screens are clogged or restricted. More so that this is an electrical issue. Oh. And uh, you know, generally these are electrical failures that I've come across. I have seen sludged up issues you know engines don't get proper oil changes or, or lack of oil changes etc things along those lines but generally that will set um this code and i believe it uh, um uh the fault for the um um the the solenoid itself there's a different code i think it's a uh, these are tens and elevens and then i think you get 13s and 14s or 12 and 13s i don't have the chart right in front of me but they do test this a bunch of different ways and i think the one you're looking at is for the actuator itself well uh, the reason i asked that question is because when i went to change my oil my wife had picked up the wrong i'm used to using o'reilly's you know basic synthetic and she right. picked up the regular oil so i we live quite a ways away from the store so i said well i'll just change the oil quicker next time so i put it in anyway and that was like 1800 miles ago so i was just wondering if that changing back to conventional might have caused something like that no and you know the the, the oil that she used was it was it the right viscosity or the same viscosity as what you're normally using yes and was it dexos rated yes okay if it's dexos rated and conventional i don't see you know that whole thing about switching from conventional to synthetic and back again i think that's a wise tale i think that's something created on the internet from those that don't know it just gives them something else to talk about and uh you know flap their gums and show how, how smart they really aren't um I, I don't see an issue there except as you correctly state from a longevity point of view so uh you know i would i would change the actuators and move on and call it a day Okay, and go with AC Delco? If you can, and I think you can get that right out of O'Reilly's uh, Auto Parts. As a matter of fact, if you go onto O'ReillyAuto.com, you can probably look it up there. Or, and, and, I'll, and I'll say the statement like this, if O'Reilly Auto says, if O'Reilly Auto Parts says, hey, here's an actuator we know works, here's a brand that we haven't had any issues with, I would go with that. My concern and where my, my line of thinking is, my biggest concern right now is people are buying parts online from sources unknown they look pretty on paper they've got this beautiful website but you don't know where those parts are really coming from unless there's a brand name on it you know there are issues with counterfeit parts of listen there's counterfeit delco there's counterfeit moog there's counterfeit of dorman of, of, of dorman well i don't know if anybody's counterfeiting dorman yet but um because all the, the dorman stuff it seems to be cheap enough anyway but you know you just you've got to be careful and well i see on the 
on the web when I was scrolling through O'Reilly's, it's, some of them came. Theirs are like 50 or 60 bucks, and some of them you can get on Amazon for two of them for 26 bucks. Right. So where and are those? I wouldn't dare do that. Right. And where do, and where do they come from? Right. You know, there's there's value in having somebody to go back and talk to. There's value in customer service. And and that's what buying from an O'ReillyAutos.com, uh, O'ReillyAuto.com will give you. And I think that's, you know, that's, that's think of it as, you know, are, are there things that you don't do around the house, Phil, or, or don't do anymore? You hire somebody? Uh, no, not really. I you, do you, everything. You're <laughs> doing everything? Uh, think of how nice it would be if you didn't have to cut the lawn or paint the house or, or, or put the roof on, and right? right? You know, you're buying yourself the luxury of having somebody to talk to. And, and sometimes that's a lifestyle issue. Hey, Ron, but one other thing, I yeah. question just popped in my head. I kind of understand what the intake um, solenoid does, but what does the exhaust one do? Same thing. They're just they're varying cam timing based on engine demand in order to accommodate either emissions, power, or fuel economy. They're both they're they're moving both sprockets. And some of them websites call it instead of the actuator, they call it a variable timing. Or is that something different? Well, I think what some of the websites are referring to is the actuator is the horse and the control device inside the engine, or what I call sometimes as a phaser, the, the phaser is the device doing the work. So the actuator, or I'm sorry, I say that backwards. The actuator is the brains of the operation and the phaser is the horse actually pulling the load. So they're right. both kind of the same thing. They well, they're one's, one's, one's limiting the oil flow, and it's limiting the oil flow to the phaser, which is changing the position of the cam timing, which is actually what the end goal is. And then it all gets checked, and then it all gets checked through the cam sensor so that the computer can see, hey, we told the cam to go here. Did it actually go to the right position? I see. So, okay. All right. Well, and, thank and you not very every, much. And let me just preface that, Phil. Not every engine has both pieces. You know, when we look at cam timing and the way the manufacturers do it, some have just an actuator, some have an actuator and uh, a, a, a phaser, but they always will have a response way to look at when, the, when, it, when it commands, hey, go, go two degrees advanced on cam timing on the intake side. They've always got a sensor there to look at how did that happen or did that happen, and, um, you know, will that work? Does that make sense? Oh, did you give away all them books yet? No, as a matter of fact, I just did. You got the last one, brother. That was the last oh, thing I wanted to you tell so you. Much. All right, stay on the line. Tom's going to get your information. Steve Cook's book, OBD2, OBD2. Can't say that today. OBD2 Diagnostics Made Easy. Coming your way. Stay on the line. Let Tom get your information. I'm Ron Anning, the car doctor. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back. Ron Anning, the car doctor. Rolling along as we... Uh, Get back to the busy phones. Let's go over to Michael in New Jersey. He wants to talk about E10 gasoline. A lot of conversation about E10 gasoline today. Michael, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Hi. Hi, Ron. Uh, okay, I heard you talking about the issue with your uh, Toro. Uh, let me try to lower the sound here. Sure. With your Toro. And um, I just wanted you to know that I was informed that Shell gasoline has as little as 3% ethanol in it. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. And the, way I, the way I found this out is I, I uh, started talking to a uh, driver who was delivering a, a tanker full of shell to a shell station. And uh, 
very uh, he was very nice, and he actually showed me the paperwork on a clipboard and where he picked it up, which was in Newark. And he said when he goes back now, his he said the next tanker full will be for BP. Uh, and he said, I said, how much ethanol is in that one? He said, that's that's probably 10%. He said, Shell is the only one that has a real low content of ethanol. Okay? I, I wonder what the determination is for that. And I don't dispute what you're saying. You know, I was surprised to find out years ago that it, it, all the gasoline, they basically blend the gasoline at the refinery. Where it's, yeah. where it's picked up, they 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 put a card in it that says, "Hey, we're Shell," and then they you know they blend it this right. way, and "Hey, we're BP," and we blend it that way, and and you know you wonder what the rationale is. It's it's it, and and you know what I I smell government taxes and um, uh, all the regulations involved as to who yeah. puts out what yeah. fuel. Yeah. Uh, well, another little another little um, endorsement from Shell came. By the way, he said he picks up a different tanker to deliver to BP. It's not the same. They don't refill the same tanker. Right. Okay. Right. So it's a different tanker. Uh, there's, there's a mechanic owner uh, that I've known for years, uh, and uh, he said he uses only Shell. He told me this a few years ago. And I said, why? And you know, he gave me some reasons. And he works on high, a lot of high-end cars, a lot of German cars and, uh, and, and Lexus and whatnot. He has a, a thriving business. Um, and he said he owns three gas stations of another well-known brand of gas and won't use his own gasoline from his I own station. You know, okay. I, I, yeah, and I, and I bet it's because he sees the valve deposits that form on the engines of, the, of some of those exotic German cars and those high-end German cars, and, yeah. and, and and that's why I've heard this conversation. I that's right, that's I, right. I, I know exactly where you're going, but yeah, and and I will say this, okay, for the listener, there is hope. You know, I'll use, and I'm a, I'm not so much, I'm a brand, but I'm also a location gas buyer. Yeah. You know, uh, I'll, I'll buy from this Exxon. This Sunoco, this Shell. Shell is actually the hardest for me to find where I am. So yeah. Ex Exxon is easy. Sunoco is easy. The hot rod only gets Sunoco and only gets it from the same pump at the same place from the same right. guy. Um, a little, little silly, but that's just my superstition. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but a oh. lot of the problems with with the blending of fuel and how fuel is blended, uh, yeah. you know, just use some form of a fuel tank cleaner. Whether yeah. it's you know whether it's a Berryman you know uh, fuel system cleaner to go in the tank something yeah. that'll help beat up carbon because carbon is still a problem and yeah. it's yeah. it's even in this day and age even with what we're trying to do but the ethanol thing is is just is just horrible there's just yeah. no good way well, around well, it yeah let's hope that Shell could run your Toro snowblower well yeah, yeah then I but you know what yeah. the problem with that is Michael and I appreciate the thought then I've got to get myself down to the one shell station, which is, you know, 20 minutes that way. So now what I've done to alleviate the problem is I've just, I've and I've kind of done this all along, but every once in a while you get lazy. Once in a while you can't get up and go to church that day and you're a bad boy, um, is I try to run the pure the pure ethanol-free stuff in the can from the hardware store, and that, that seems to give, oh, okay. uh, you know, that seems Great. to solve the problem as well. Yeah, so. yeah very good, very all good. Right. I, th I think the important thing, and by the way, in speaking of additives, I've been listening to for about 20, 
20 years from when you were on radio, and you you talked uh, about Chevron Techron back then, and I'm still using it. Do you still think it's worthwhile for yeah, that? Yeah, I think, I think Techron is a great fuel additive as well. I think there's a lot of things out there that work. It depends upon what's available in your neck of the woods. Um, right. I've seen, I've seen, now I, I will say this, we'll use Techron in the shop, we'll use Berryman's in the shop. And it depends. Yeah. It, it seems that um, I'll see different results with different additives and different cleaners. Right. But, but okay. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this: it seems like the be-all, end-all is Berryman's. It's just harder yeah. to get. Distribution seems to be a problem. Yeah. Um, but they've got they've got some interesting approaches. As a matter of fact, this week we did a fuel system cleaning using the Berryman uh, fuel injection kit, which is a little aerosol spray nozzle in the air intake yeah. duct. And where we positioned it on the Honda, it actually cleaned the throttle body and did a top-end carbon cleaning and, and solved quite a few problems in the way that car ran. You can read more about Berryman, by the way, BerrymanProducts.com. Michael, I appreciate the call. Thanks, and have yourself a Merry Christmas. I'm Ron Anany, The Car Doctor. We're back right after this. Welcome back. Ron Anany, The Car Doctor. Let's go over and talk to Mike in Delaware real quick. Mike, we got about two and a half yeah. minutes. What's going on? Hey, Ron. Hey, got a 2009 Ford Escape, which I bought it back in end of April. Okay. And then a couple of weeks after I got it, I, I got it from a car dealership. The check engine light come on, and then they replaced the purge valve in it. Okay. But now, now it's saying on the dash, check fuel inlet. So I check fuel inlet valve. So I got the book out and it said clean around it, and then and it did say if you clean around it and the check engine light comes back on. You know, I have to take it to, a, I guess, a dealer. Would it be that purge valve messing up again? Well, it could. It's so the no, It's the no-cap. It's a 2.5. Right, uh, it's, it's, a two, it's a 2.5 no-cap system, I'm guessing. Right. Right, yeah. okay. So let me, let me explain it to you in terms like this, Mike. Take a, take a gas can and fill it up with, you know, fill it up halfway with fuel and stick it out in the middle of your front yard in the sun. If you don't have that vented, what's it going to do? Right. It's right. going to it's going to expand, yeah. right? So uh -huh. so we've got to vent it. So that's where the charcoal canister comes in on a car's gas tank. We vent it through the canister because the the canister charcoal will will filter the fumes to keep pollution from entering the atmosphere, but it has to exit uh -huh. after the after the charcoal through a vent valve that sends it out into the atmosphere. Consequently, uh -huh. on the other side, sometimes the charcoal canister gets loaded with fumes, so we put a purge valve. We're going to purge. It's kind of like it burps, right? You ever burp after uh -huh. a heavy meal? Right. Same thing. So that purge valve is tied electronically to a computer that when the computer wants to, it opens the purge electrically, and there is a vacuum hose that leads off the other side that leads to the engine. It then applies engine vacuum to the canister, and it pulls fresh air through the vent, through the canister, and it vacuums out the fumes. When we want to test the system to make sure it's got integrity, that it's not leaking fumes at the wrong time, the wrong place to atmosphere or anywhere else, we close the purge, we close the vent, we'll, we'll, we'll likely in a lot of cases open the purge, apply vacuum against a sealed, uh, against a sealed vent, apply vacuum for a set period of time, we look for a change on the fuel tank pressure sensor, close the purge and then watch the tank pressure sensor, how long does it hold vacuum? to what level, to what degree, etc. Um, so yes, it's possible that that purge is not holding. It's possible that it's sticking. If it wasn't a good quality, 
That's obviously a concern if there is a leak anywhere else in the system. So the next step would be to smoke test this, look for leaks, and then work your diagnosis from there. But you're on the right track. I'm Ron Anini in the car, Doctor. Good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya. 